Christmas is getting closer. And I can see it. And I can hear it. And I can feel it. I can smell it. I can taste it. And maybe many of you guys can relate. I wake up, I see Christmas decorations in our house. I walk into a store and they're playing Christmas songs. I go on my runs and I can feel that cold December wind on my face. I've got a pine candle that I keep in my office. And uh, it helps me have a little Christmas aromatherapy throughout, throughout my day. And then someone even brought spritz cookies to our town hall meeting on Wednesday. Anyone know what spritz cookies are? When I was a kid, once a year, we get these spritz cookies, and they just taste like Christmas to me. Christmas, it is filled with all of these wonderful moments. They're all around us. Every one of our senses is engaged. It's a time to gather with family and friends. It's a time when a lot of people bake foods that they only bake once a year. It's a time where you watch that favorite Christmas movie with the Christmas lights on, attending Christmas concerts and shows and special events. And our family did something for the first time last year. We went to Bentleyville, the Bentleyville Tour of Lights up in Duluth. Anyone been up there for that? It's a big deal. We're still trying to figure out what Noah's Ark and dinosaurs have to do with Christmas. But other than that, it was, it's, it was fantastic. There are so many great moments that we could celebrate this season and experience. And then if you're a person of faith, the wonder meter just goes off the charts because this is a season where we press into that wonder of a God who stepped into our world as one of us. This was an event that was heralded by angels and yet it was witnessed by livestock. It drew these mysterious magi from the east and shepherds in for the fields and everyone's gathering around this sign of a baby in a manger. It is a wondrous season. It's so wondrous. This is going to be my 50th Christmas. And in all of those years, I'm still learning. I know. I'm learning new things. I'm still learning new things. We're going to share some of them with you. Maybe they're not new for you, but I'm still learning these new things. It is so wonder-saturated. And the reason we're doing this particular series this year is because it goes so fast. This season just flies by. So here's the question we're going to wrestle today with this part of the series it's right here the first set of blanks if you want to let's attack this sheet here how can we savor the season when there's so much to do that's the question we're going to wrestle with today how do we savor this because this is a season to be savored how do we savor this season when there is so much to do because if you're like most of the people in this room you were busy before christmas got here right i mean it was already filled with so much stuff there was more to do than can be done and then on top of that, here comes all the Christmas stuff. Wow. And it's no wonder that many people hit December 26th and they feel exhausted and they are filled with regret because I felt like, oh, I missed those moments. This was going to be the year that I really soaked it in, but it just flew by. And as a point of reference to all that, I was such in a hurry when we went up to Bentleyville last year to Duluth, I forgot my coat. So I went to an outdoor event in Duluth, on the lake in December, forgetting my coat. This is a season where that thing can happen. That can happen a lot, right? Because there's so much going on and it's a season that was meant to be savored. So how do you savor a season when there's so much to do? Well, some of the tips come from a book that I received um, when I was right out of college. When I was right out of college, I was serving at a church in Hastings for the summer and the pastor gave me this book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Anyone ever read this before? All right, this is a classic, isn't it? 
There's a reason why they sold a gazillion copies and they're still printing this thing off. Because there's some really good principles in here. And it would be a win if you just applied even the first three of the seven. You don't got time for all seven, right? So <laughs> it's Christmas. Even the first three could make a difference. The first three of the habits are be proactive, begin with the end in mind, and put first things first. That first habit is so important. Be proactive. Instead of just reacting to everything that happens, be proactive and say, this is what I want to experience. And that brings you to habit, habit two, which is begin with the end in mind. To get a picture at the end of this season, what do I want to have experienced most? That brings us to number three. Put first things first. Lock the key things on your calendar first and build the rest around that. If you want to have a great Christmas, you've got to say no to a lot of good, right? That's just how it works. Well, these three habits are really, really good. I encourage you to write down your notes. I kind of summarize them with this statement. Proactive planning is helpful. Proactive planning is helpful. If you want to savor the season, those three habits are a good place to start. But how many of you know those three habits are only going to get you so far? I made a little chart here for us today. It's a beautifully crafted chart here. Here's, here's how those three habits work in reality. Because how many of you know that Real life tends to mess up our plans, right? So you can do your best and make your plans begin with the end in mind, plot everything out, be proactive, all that kind of stuff. Well, at best, then you can cross your fingers and hope it works because life rarely goes as we plan. If you want to set yourself up for success this Christmas, I do encourage you. Be proactive. Begin with the end in mind. Put your highest priorities on the calendar first. Go online and learn how to say no politely and respectfully. Because if you want to have a good Christmas, you've got to do that a lot during this season. But, but, as you apply these habits, keep in mind that proactive planning can only get you so far. Because real life often gets in the way of our plans. Last week, we opened with a video. We had a video. This video was, a, was shot by this guy who wanted to capture a key moment on tape. All right? So the Georgia Dome was about to be imploded in 2017. And it was a really big event. And so this guy was proactive and he began with the end in mind and all those things. He said, okay, I know this is going to happen. I'm not, not wandering around with my camera. I'm going to get there for this specific event. I'm going to get the perfect place for the perfect shot. He arrives early. He sets up his camera. He has it going 40 minutes before the implosion is set to begin so he doesn't miss a second. And right at the time, Right at the time when the whole thing is starting to implode and explode and all that stuff, what happened? Bus pulls up right in the middle of the shot. And then the bus pulls away when? Right after the shot was all done. And all the thing is already collapsed and there's just smoke. From his perspective, this bus pulled up right in front of him at what appeared to be the worst possible time. He was proactive, but that unexpected bus changed everything. Now, again, I'm a huge fan of proactive planning. Don't look at this amazing chart and say, oh, then I should never be proactive because it doesn't work. It's a, that's, those are powerful, powerful tools. If we don't confuse our plans with our priorities, and that's easy to do. Let's say you're a coach, coach for the Vikings. And you think you've got the perfect 
game plan for this afternoon against the Patriots, right? You've got the perfect plan. You can make your plan and cross your fingers, or you can do what the great coaches do, and that's they adjust their plans based on realities as the game plays out. If you're a good coach, you come in with plans, but your plans are really there to support your priorities. And most coaches, they've got at least three priorities. To win, to protect your players, and to play fair. Unless you're the Patriots, then they go with two of the, two of the three, and they say, it's all right. So in either case, you're, if you're a great coach, you, your plans are subject to your priorities. And how many of you have ever been, show of hands on this one, how many of you have ever been to, a, to an event where the host was so stressed about their plans that they missed the whole point? You ever, you ever been there? Absolutely, right? They made all these plans and they were so stressed about their plans going right that they missed the whole point, the bigger priority. Or people that come into events and their expectations are so locked in in their mind, if the event doesn't perfectly match their expectations, they can't really enjoy it. You've probably seen that happen too, right? Plans should be subject to our priorities. And life doesn't always go as planned. What I'm really excited to do now is to turn the corner and let's look at the book of Luke. The book of Luke. There's so much good stuff in there, but specific to today, what we're going to look at, these principles we're going to look at today in this passage that we're going to dig into can help us experience new levels of wonder even when things don't go as planned. In fact, sometimes we can find out that the things that don't go as planned are better than what we could have planned on our own, right? Okay, so if you have your Bible with you, let's open up to Luke chapter 1, uh, verse 26. That's where we're going to start today. I want to let you know, too, as we're returning here, if you don't have a Bible, we'd love for you to go home with one absolutely free today. We keep a stack there at that back table. We encourage you to take one home as a gift to you. Now, before we dive in to reading the text, let me give you just a little bit of background. If you weren't here last week or if you're not familiar with the Bible or this section of it, here's a little bit of background. Last week, we saw that Luke's opening sentence, as he opened up this entire book of, that we call the book of Luke, this opening was really well-crafted. It is akin to the entrance to a world-class building. And one of the reasons that he crafted his opening the way he did under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit was to build confidence with his original audience. Because Luke was about to share some things that were wondrous. And he wanted to be clear, this is truth. This is real. What I'm about to share here really happened. So he gives names. He gives places. He gives events. So he you, basically saying, fact check me on this. It may sound wondrous, but this really happened. All of it. Last week's wonder story that we looked at involved a priest named Zechariah. He and his wife Elizabeth had prayed for years for a child, but they weren't able to conceive. And now they were past the age where that happened. But then an angel named Gabriel appeared. And in the, as in the days of old, Elizabeth conceived a miracle baby, a baby that was destined to prepare the way for another child. So that was six months ago. And now we pick up where the story leads off. So here we go. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 27. I say this. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. All right. So Gabriel, this is a second 
stop on his, his visitation tour here, his first appearance made a lot of sense. He appeared to a priest in the temple at Jerusalem. Well, Gabriel's stop here was to a village smaller than Dundas, Minnesota. Gabriel was sent to this tiny village called Nazareth to a young woman named Mary who was betrothed to a young man named Joseph. And in that time and in that place, marriages were arranged by parents, which could either be great or horrible, depending on how your parents did at that. Well, last year we dug into the book of Matthew. And in the book of Matthew, the focus of this part of the story is on Joseph. And one of the things that we saw as we dug into that, Joseph was the perfect husband for Mary, the perfect father for Jesus. And partly because of his imperfections, right? But he was the right person. They, the parents did such a good job of picking great um, pe- people for their, for their kids to marry. Joseph was a man of incredible faith and compassion, integrity. We're going to see that Mary was the same. Well, Mary and Joseph, we read here, they were betrothed, which in that time and that place was, was very significant. Betrothal was more like marriage than it is engagement in that time and in that place. If you were betrothed, you were referred to as husband and wife, and the betrothal period could only be broken by a divorce. That was the only way to break it. If you're in, you're in. And uh, file this fun fact uh, away because it's going to be significant to the story in a little bit. It was common for a betrothal to last at least nine months. Why? Because they wanted to make sure that she wasn't pregnant before they got married. All right, so let's pick up where we left off then, verses 28 through 29. And the angel came to Mary and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. So maybe all of you knew this before, but I had a blinding flash the obvious this week when I was reading this and, and reading about it. The literal translation of this greeting is, you have found grace. Mary, you found grace. And some ancient manuscripts add, in, in the end of verse 128, blessed art thou among women. And so, blinding flash the obvious, how many are familiar with the rosary? This is where it comes from, right here. You know, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women. There are so many things all around us, songs, cultural references that come right from this section that we're digging into now, including this. I'll give you one more. How many are familiar with that song, Ave Maria? That, you know, okay, that one comes from here too. Um, there's an ancient translation of the Bible that was translated in Latin. It's called the Vulgate. And greetings is Ave. So Ave Maria is also, this is a jumping off point for that. So there's, again, there's so much here that's in our culture and all around us. So much wonder. All right, here we go. Uh, let's pick up, continue with the actual account. Uh, chapter 1, verses 30 through 33. The angel said to Mary, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you should call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Well, in the previous account that we went through last week, of that other wonder kid, great Gabriel said, he's going to be great. He's going to be great. John's going to be great. This child, 
this child, though, is going to be in a whole different category altogether. Zachariah's child would point the way to Mary's child, who the angel says will be called the son of the most high. All right, let's look at verses 34 to 37. Mary said to the angel, okay, how is this going to be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the most high will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. All right, Mary hadn't heard about Elizabeth because Elizabeth, as we left off in the last story, she'd have been in seclusion for the last five months. So Gabriel shares this exciting news. And it's worth noting when he shares this news that he references the Holy Spirit. Because if you look at the book of Luke, I'd encourage you to do this. Do, um, do some sort of word search, look BibleGateway.com or one of those things, and type in Holy Spirit and look how many times Spirit comes up in the book of Luke. Luke is consistently referencing this work of the Holy Spirit that is going on throughout this whole narrative. And there's another theme, another theme that I want to point out and spend a little more time with that Luke weaves throughout his gospel. And we see it right here as we're reading in in Luke. Let's look at this, um, this verse 38. Chapter 1, verse 38. And Mary said to the angel, she says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Mary is presented here as an example, a stellar example of faithfulness. Of faith and faithfulness. And for us with 21st century Western ears, we're like, what's the big deal with that? This wasn't written 21st century Western ears, was it? In that time and in that place, women were marginalized, to say the least. And the contrast between the story we looked at yesterday, or yesterday, last week, with Zechariah, is such a contrast to this story with Mary. And I bring this up because there's a whole lot of people that say a whole lot of things about the Bible that just aren't fair. In an age where men were considered superior to women in almost every way, Luke opens with a contrast between a seasoned male priest who has an encounter with an angel in the temple at Jerusalem, and that's contrasted with a young woman who is from nowhere Galilee. Zechariah's response to Gabriel shows a lack of faith, and Mary is affirmed for her faith. In fact, let's look at Luke 145. Luke 145 says this, Blessed is she who what? Who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. So this contrast even gets bigger here because Zechariah had this lack of faith. And what was his consequence? He wasn't able to speak. He wasn't able to speak until his son was born. In contrast, right after this, right after the statement that she believed there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken. Right after that, she bursts into song. And you can read that song for yourself, verse 46 and beyond. Zechariah had a six-month head start, and he still doesn't get his voice back until verse 64. (laughs) Just saying. All the women are like, yeah, just... 
This is so obvious. All right. Well, anyway, Mary's faithfulness, if I can go here, though, for a minute, Mary's faithfulness is especially powerful when you consider what it was going to cost her to be faithful. When you consider her paradigm, the paradigm of that world at that time, and you think about what that was going to cost her to say, okay, may it be as you have said, that was going to cost her what appeared to be everything. Whereas Zechariah, his news, woohoo! The only downside of his news was, you know, diapers and sleepless nights, you know, which aren't great, but man, I'm going to have a kid. This is amazing. Mary wasn't like that at all. For a betrothed young woman to hear that she would conceive before her wedding day, that was a different story altogether. Well, as the teaching team was planning out this series, Jason introduced us to a video that we're going to show on Christmas Eve. We want to encourage you to come and see this because it was, it was the best depiction I've ever seen of that moment when Joseph and, and Mary's father recognize that Mary's pregnant for the first time. And the expressions on their face do such a great job of capturing that moment of, we love you, and, and what, what happened, what, what's, what's going on here. It's so powerful. And as that scene is, on, is playing out, there's these amazing lyrics. The future was bright and clear. She had planned for her wedding day. Her daddy would hold back tears, giving her hand away. Now all her hope and fear in a cradle lay. For a baby came and what? Everything changed. This was not her plan. This was not a plan that, that really anybody saw coming. Everything changed. Okay, let's try to pull all these dots now I put out there. Let's try to connect them all. Everyone in Mary's circle had been proactive. All of them. All of them had been proactive. The parents chose a godly husband and a godly wife. Joseph's decisions reflect a life of faith and integrity and compassion. Mary's response, we just see, her response to that angel reflects a level of trust and faithfulness that is remarkable, remarkable, exceedingly rare. And this was shaping up, according to their plans, it was shaping up to be a storybook wedding, a storybook life, if their faith had been in their plans. If that was the case... If, if their faith was in their plans, then all of this seems so contrary to their hopes and their dreams. Which is why I want to encourage you to write this down in your notes. Something that I think trumps the first thing that we had you write down. Prioritizing faithfulness. Prioritizing faithfulness can unlock new levels of wonder-filled perspective. When our win, when our win is... The same as Mary's. When our win is, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. When that's our wins, what can we do? We can hold all other plans loosely then, can't we? When our win is, okay, God, may it be as you've said, we can hold all other plans loosely. In our broken world, it is so easy to confuse plans with priorities. And that can cause us to miss the wonder of a moment. Let me start with the more superficial, move more towards the, the rich. On the superficial, take the guy with the bus video, right? He made plans to capture a unique moment on video. A unique moment. 
if he had gotten the shot that he had planned for, how many people would have seen his video? Not many, right? How many people saw the shot that he didn't plan? Millions. You see where I'm going with this? He wanted to catch a unique shot. His plans got interrupted. He was uniquely positioned to capture a shot that nobody else caught. (laughs) What unexpected, wondrous things are you uniquely positioned to experience this year? They're going to come your way. Things are going to come your way that you did not plan, that you did not anticipate. Things that you are uniquely positioned to experience or to demonstrate or to witness to. Most of us long to experience a season right now that brings us closer to God and closer to one another. We can make our plans and cross our fingers. That's one model. Here's another one that I want to encourage you to consider. As much as I love proactive planning and I, I do it all the time, this, this is more important. Prioritize faithfulness. Prioritize faithfulness. Because when you prioritize faithfulness, that leads to elevated perspective where you start to realize sometimes my plans weren't the right plans. My, my thoughts weren't the right thoughts. And your perspective is shaped. That was the example of Mary. Mary prioritized faithfulness first in the moment, even when that moment didn't make sense at the time. And her faithfulness opened up her eyes over time to new perspectives which then enabled her to reprioritize life, which then led to more, greater perspective, and so on and so on and so on. Instead of simply making her plans and crossing her fingers that everything was going to work out, she was positioning herself for wonder moments that we're still reading about 2,000 years later. It was really interesting. I came across a theory that I'd never heard anyone put out there before. More than one of my sources mentioned it's very possible that Mary was one of those eyewitnesses that Luke mentions in Luke chapter 1, verse 2. And this seems very credible when you stop and think. Luke is the only one that includes this content. He's the only one. Can you imagine that opportunity to sit down and see Mary's eyes as she's saying, yeah, let me tell you. Let me tell you about that whole event. But Luke isn't writing primarily so that we can wonder about what it was like to see him watch her tell about that event. He wants us to experience wonder moments of our own. To encounter this God who is still with us and is still at work all around us. And for us to begin having these stories where we, our eyes get really big. As we say, this is what God did in my midst. In your notes, I include a couple more examples um, that I encourage you to press into, maybe in your small church, maybe on your own, maybe with your family. Luke 2, uh, 25 through 38, that's, that's the account of two people, this elderly man named Simeon, this elderly woman named Anna, and how they were living consistent lives of faithfulness. And because of that, their eyes were open to see things that most people missed. And then I have all these examples. How many we got there? One, two, three, four, five, six examples where Jesus, as crazy as his schedule was, he was carving out time to prioritize faithfulness, communion with his Father. And he had this perspective that none of us fully have. Those who prioritize faithfulness experience moments of wonder that most 
people miss. Just yesterday, I received, I read a quote that just rocked my world. You talk about perspective. Take a look at this one. At some point in our future as a church, we're gonna, we've got to press into this. I was blessed, period. I was told I had three months to live. Don't those sound contradictory? This is the kind of perspective that comes as we prioritize faithfulness that can lead to wonder perspective that we would never come to on our own. So this Christmas season, a season that sets itself up for this so well, let's press in to the wonder. Childbirth is painful and it is scary and it is messy. And if you talk to anyone who's been there for a birth, they'll tell you, yes, it's those things and it's wonderful. It is filled with wonder. Will we dare trust that God is with us when we feel scared and when things are messy and when things are painful? Do we dare trust that perhaps God could be birthing something new in us or through us or through the organizations that we lead or are a part of? Well, sometimes what we're experiencing, it's not like a birth. It's more like a cross. It's more like a cross. Will we dare trust that God will honor his promises to those who acknowledge him before others when that's not a safe thing to do? Will will we dare to trust that God will honor his promises when we take up our crosses, when we turn the other cheek, when we pray for those who persecute us? And will we dare to trust that our faithfulness in what appears to be the small things will prepare us for greater things? Will we have the faith to actually prioritize the Sabbath and meeting together and meditating on his word and prioritizing the type of prayer that is more like a conversation that is happening throughout the day? Will we trust him to say no to stuff that we want to watch, but we know we shouldn't, to do things that we want to do that we know we shouldn't, Will we dare to trust that doing justice and loving mercy and walking humbly with our God can do this, can elevate our perspective? Will we dare to believe that if we don't conform to the patterns of this world, that we really will be transformed by the renewing of our mind, that our eyes will be open to things that most people miss? Well, as we bring this teaching to a close, I want to do two things. The first is I want to commend this church family. We've been meeting with our, we call our nominating committee here for the last two months. We've had a couple meetings. And we've been looking at these upcoming um, nominations that we need to make for elder and for um, nominating committee and for PRC that we'll do at our annual meeting. We have ready by our annual meeting. So we've started that, you know, last month. And we were able to fill up this flip chart. I mean, we don't want to, we never want to break confidentiality, but I think it's appropriate for me to say this. We fill up this flip chart full of names. And as we're talking about those names, we're thinking about the stories of people here right in our midst who are my heroes. The faithfulness that they're exhibiting in really hard situations. The way they're walking by faith and not by sight. When many people would say, God, I'm turning from you. But instead they're turning to him. 
It's a beautiful thing. So I want to commend you. So many of you are doing these things that we're talking about today. But the second thing I want to do is to invite all of us, all of us to trust God in that way. And that's the last set of blanks we have for you today. If you long for more wonder-filled moments, trust God. Trust him in those birthing moments. Trust him in those cross moments. Trust him in those little moments of daily faithfulness. Trust him when you don't know which one of those that is. Trust him. Trust him. And we want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. Right here, right now. In a sacrament we call Holy Communion. When we embrace this wonder-filled moment, we embrace this event. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And he gave thanks and he broke it. And he said, this is my body for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. What we're going to do right now is we're going to give you this opportunity to say, God, I'm all in. I'm all in. I ask you to forgive me of my past. Help me to trust you with my future. Help me to come forth from this place with eyes that are open to see as you see. And Emmanuel, the only person that's going to keep you from the Lord's table is you. What we do ask is that you could sincerely pray these prayers that we're going to pray today. If you're able to do that, we welcome you to come and receive from him. We won't have any ushers telling you when to go. Instead, what we do here at Emmanuel is we ask that the Holy Spirit is your usher and that you listen to that still small voice. And if you feel the Spirit nudging you to come and receive, we'll have a team of uh, people right there and a team of people right over there. So let's prepare ourselves. And one of the ways we do that here most Sundays or when we celebrate communion is to pray these prayers together. So please join your voices with mine as uh, a fellow sinner in need of, of God's glorious and gracious forgiveness. And